Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. 24 years together as a church. That's something to shout about, right? 24 years is a long time. How many of you guys have been married 24 years? Yeah, we got a couple. All right, we'll ask that question again later, and we'll get into it a little bit. But I love that we get to celebrate 24 years together today. And I love that we get to celebrate by receiving Holy Communion together. We get to celebrate by having water baptism together and cheering on someone in our community who said, I'm all in on Jesus. I can't think of anything more Jesus-focused than this celebration we've got planned today. And that's awesome, right? Are you guys excited for water baptism as well? Awesome. Awesome. You know, these things that we hold dear as a church, these, these things, these actions, communion, water baptism, they're more than just the ordinances of the church. They're these sacred hallmarks of our community of faith, of believers throughout every single generation. You know, we gather today around the love of Christ as, as one big family. And in Ephesians 3, Paul says to the church in Ephesus, he says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, have the power to grasp his love, which surpasses all knowledge. And that's my prayer for us today. I want to just share a message from my heart for a few moments, taking us back to this kind of united love that we are to share as a community of faith. And if you're a note taker, you could just simply title this message, Still in Love. Still in love, because I'm still in love with the church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we're thankful that you're here. We pray that you would be honored in everything that we do this morning. Uh, We love that we get to celebrate by doing what you passed on to us, by sharing Holy Communion together, by following your example in water baptism, by cheering us on as we make our commitment to you to recommit, redevote ourselves to being your church, your body, your desire. And Lord, we pray that you would move us this morning as we examine your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we talked not too long ago about what it means to be the church, to be this giant, messy, multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-generational family that God is building, right? And we talked, and one of the things we always say is simply this, family is messy, right? And every time I ask you to raise your hands, and pretty much everybody agrees, family gets messy. And you guys have some messy family moments in 2020? Some weird holidays in 2020? Family can get kind of messy from time to time. But one of the things I want us to remember today is that the beauty of being the body of Christ as a whole, globally, and even in every local expression around the world, the beauty of being the body of Christ has always been found in the middle of the messiness. You're not in spite of the messiness. In the middle of all the, the differences between us, there's such beauty in the unity that we share. Since its inception, the community of Jesus followers that we call the church has always been different. It's always stuck out in this way. Other belief systems in Roman times, you know, when the church was springing up, a lot of the belief systems or systems of faith that believed in different gods or different, you know, spiritual experiences, they were belief, or they were tied to classes, ethnic groups. They were very ethnocentric in the way they went about it. The Jesus followers came along and pretty much every boundary that divided people, they crossed. They looked so different than any other world faith system at their time. There were rich and poor sharing meals together, slave and free, men and women from a multitude of classes and nations. It looked so different than anything that the world had seen. And the beauty was found in the midst of the mess. As Scott McKnight calls it, it was like life in a salad bowl. You know, you pour all the ingredients in, you blend it all together, and it makes something wonderful. Uh, Maybe you don't like salads, and I'm with you. (laughs) You can just say it's like life at, I don't know, Sweet Frog or one of these frozen yogurt places. Just throw it all together, and it makes a great concoction. There's always an ice cream analogy that fits, for me anyway. I have a separate stomach for ice cream. But the, the beauty of it is found in the midst of the mixing it all together, in the midst of the mess. Paul, writing to the Ephesian church, what we just read, Paul continues to build this just masterpiece of understanding what it means to live together in unity. 
as Christ's body. This Christian experiment that was just getting off the ground, he writes to them because there were a lot of differences that they had with each other. How many of you guys have been to different churches and even in our church, you're like, yeah, there are a lot of people who I don't have a whole lot in common with here. And that's a beautiful thing. That's a wonderful thing in the body of Christ. And he's writing to Ephesian, to the Ephesian church because they had a lot of things that maybe were threatening to divide them. And he wanted to tell them to keep their focus on what's important, what matters most. In Ephesians 3.10, he tells them that as, as God, you know, puts together, weaves together this crazy church family, he said that God wants to showcase his manifold wisdom through the church. Manifold wisdom. That's an interesting word. We don't really use manifold except for Brant because he works on cars, talks about manifolds from time to time. But manifold wisdom is an interesting comment. Dr. Mark Diamaz comments on this word, manifold. He says it means to be marked by a great variety of colors. To be marked by a great variety of colors. Paul's saying that God's wisdom is on full display in the church. You know, when we look more like this salad bowl idea, this, this gathering of people from different places and different races, classes and backgrounds, God's wisdom shines through our diversity when we're united despite all the things that make us so different, when the mess is present, but we're choosing to be rooted in love. That's when God's wisdom shines through us. And you know what that means for us in a culture like ours? It means that when you know, the differences in our culture rear their heads and are glaring and things between different classes of people, different races, different, you know, differences in our culture tend to make it seem like things are going to come apart at the seams. That's where the church needs to shine. That's where when we are united around his love, we stick out like a sore thumb again and we showcase God's wisdom in his heart by the way we commit to one another in unity. Amen? How many of you know that we need more than just good intentions to see this experiment called the church look like what Jesus had in mind? We need more than just go, that sounds great, let's do it. You know, it takes something more than that. Only the Spirit of God in our midst can bring together this wild family. Amen? Like, it's not in us. We need His Spirit to bring us that kind of united love for one another. So Paul's encouraging the Ephesians and he, in a couple of verses earlier, he basically showed them how Jesus has brought down all of the dividing walls. He says, it's him that's made the two groups one. Constantly, he's covering all of our differences. He's giving us the ability to be truly united by his spirit. I want us to remember two things about unity within the church today. Because in our time, dividing from one another is a little bit more popular than choosing to be united to one another. Dividing, and you know, it's a lot more popular today to pick a side on whatever your favorite issue is. It's a lot more popular to downplay the legitimacy of another group, of even other believers. It's more popular, in other words, to allow our mess and our differences to bring division in the church. But unity is important. I want us to remember two things about unity within the church. First, unity was Jesus' priority for us. If you ask Jesus today, what do you want from your church? The first thing, top of his list to be unity in the church. Unity in the church. We spent a while on this recently, and I won't go into it all again, but if you read John chapter 17, Jesus' final prayer for believers, he prays, Father, make them one, as you and I are one, that the world would know you sent me. That's an incredible prayer from Jesus. That's Jesus' prayer for you and me. Father, make them one. Unity is his priority for us. His intention for us is that we get to share in and experience the kind of unity of heart and mind that he shares with the Father. That's incredible. And the world would take note of how we love one another. Second thing about unity in the church is this. Unity, basically from the time the church started, and definitely still today, is constantly under threat in the church. Has anybody seen this before? Like, we seem to like dividing a lot more than unity. Unity is constantly threatened, but it's Jesus' heart for us. Most of the New Testament, as you look at it, shows us Jesus' apostles working with small church communities, wrestling 
with factions within the body and exhorting them over and over again, choose to be united in love. Choose unity. Prioritize one another. Don't give up meeting together. Be with one another through it all. Because the church back then, and the church today is still full of human beings, right? It's full of human beings, so we will always wrestle with parallel ideals, parallel ideas that will come up alongside the gospel and try to divide. Unity is constantly under threat. Nothing has really changed on the human side since Paul's day or Jesus' day. People are still doing people things, right? I mean, you don't have to turn on the news and look very far to see people doing people things. You know, even in churches, you don't have to look very far to see people doing people things. And the reality is with our internet world, we just see the differences more than ever, right? We see the differences. We see the different interpretations. We see it all more than ever. You know, our unity in the love of Christ faces more threats. And they come from both inside the body and outside. Unity is under threat. It's hard in our world to escape things like the high-profile leaders in the church that we've seen falling time and time again to sin and to moral failures, right? I mean, you guys can probably think of one or two from this past year. There are so many things that we see, and it's hard to escape the things that bring us down. The world will always make a big deal about it when a Christian leader, a prominent Christian leader, falls in some way, right? Once again, please pray for your pastors, pray for leaders, pray for writers, pray for people who are leading the movement of Jesus around the world. The statement from the book of Zechariah, strike the shepherd, scatter the sheep, that's real. And you know, a lot of people this past year with some high-profile leaders being caught in some really bad sin, you know, a lot of people are extremely disillusioned with the church. A lot of people as the church has taken up, really, a bunch of other causes which are not the cause of Christ and made it their first priority, a lot of people have been disillusioned with the church. A lot of people, young people and old people alike, have walked away from being together in unity with God's people, not just because it's harder to gather in the midst of a pandemic, but because of what they've seen the church giving its priority to. It's no longer love covers over a multitude of sins. People have turned their focus to other things. There are threats from within the body. And there are threats from outside the body as well to our unity in the love of Christ. You know, our world celebrates when anybody experiences what's been referred to as a deconversion experience. Deconversion experience. When they choose to walk away from the faith they once had. Our world celebrates that. You know, we live in a a very secular humanist world And when somebody has an awakening moment and chooses to walk away from faith, people in our world say, good for you. We face threats not just from inside, but from outside. You know, again, this past year, I heard about a prominent worship leader whose songs we've sung publicly in this church, walking away and denouncing his faith. A man whose book shaped a whole generation in the church's ideas about Christian purity, walking away from his family and his wife and his faith and getting celebrated for it. See, these stories that we see over and over again of disunity within the church are terrifying, and they're awful, and we pray that God would continue to unite his church. But our world does something different with these stories. Really, it just paints these people as just people being true to themselves. People just rediscovering themselves, leaving behind their juvenile ideals and superstitions. Our world paints these moments which are terrifying as people just coming to their senses, realizing. Because we live in a secular, humanist world, and it has a deconversion agenda for followers of Jesus. You know, uh, I I grew up in a missionary family. This is a bit of a detour, but we talk about cross-cultural missions, and Dad was sharing a lot of what's going on around the world last week. Some amazing things to celebrate what's happening with church communities around the world. And the great danger of going from this place around the world is that we go to a a culture and we bring our culture with us, right? So we see groups in, in different parts of the world who are singing Western songs and dressed up in suits going to church, and it looks nothing like their culture because they were colonized by Christians. And that's a problem. That's a danger in the missions world. We don't want to do that because we want the manifold wisdom of God to be present in the differences. 
But when you go from a Christian, primarily Christian culture to a post-Christian culture, a secular culture, the danger isn't that you bring your colony with you or colonization with you. The danger is that you get colonized. Because a post-Christian world like what we live in and continue to get more close to, it knows the playbook of followers of Jesus, and it's, it's actually set up against belief. The danger is that we get colonized. There are real threats to a unified, faithful, committed community of believers in our world. The statistics of the next generation should give us a lot of pause. I have young kids, and I know some of you do too. Less than one in ten kids raised in church leave college with their faith intact. We have threats to the community which Jesus wants to be building with us here. Staying committed to one another in his love is Jesus' desire for us. And it's something that we have to fight for as a church. It's not just good intention. Oh, that sounds good. We have to make time. We have to create space. We have to fight for it with everything we've got because the unity we're called to in his love is worth fighting for. Amen? It's worth fighting for. I've chosen the book of Ephesians to kind of capitalize on today because Ephesus was an amazing place. I've been there. I've walked the streets of Ephesus in modern-day Turkey. An incredible, incredible place and incredible history. And John wrote his books, a lot of them, from Ephesus as he was present there. Paul spent years in Ephesus and established the church there. Timothy led the church in Ephesus. We get a lot of Ephesus in the New Testament, other than just the book of Ephesians. But in the sprawling capital of Ephesus, the unity of the body was under threat in amazing ways that are exactly the same ways that our unity is under threat today. So Paul writes to them, and he continually preaches unity. It's his key theme in the book of Ephesians. Yet, in the revelation of John, later on, written from most likely Ephesus, Jesus gives this community in Ephesus a very specific message that rings very true for us today. Revelation chapter 2 is in the middle of these sections where John has basically had a vision of Jesus, and Jesus is speaking to specific church communities. And this is what he says to the church in Ephesus. He says this, I know all the things that you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they're apostles but are not. You've discovered that they're liars, and you've patiently suffered for me without quitting. So far, so good from Jesus, right? That seems like a really good review. That's like five stars right there for Ephesus. But I have this complaint against you, says Jesus. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look at how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place amongst the churches. So I guess we can call it a mixed review. It's not a five-star review. There's some good things going on in Ephesus in the midst of all their differences, trying to work it out. You know, Jesus is saying to them, I see your passion. I see your zeal. You've forgotten, though, your first love. Many translations, that's what it says. You forgot your first love, the love that you had at the beginning, this love for me and for one another. Jesus says, let's get real about this, Ephesians, and let's get back to working at this love. Let's get back to choosing, enduring in this united love together. Jesus said to each of us that there would be difficult times. There would be times when following Jesus together as a community would cost us something. It wouldn't always be a popular choice. It was going to be difficult. But in those moments where our love is under threat, where there's seemingly more things to divide us than unite us, that is where we need to shine brightest in his love. Amen? That's where we need to remember, like he calls to the Ephesians, let's get back to the basics together of how to love one another. Let's stand out again in our culture which loves to divide. Let's be those who are stubbornly committed to one another again. Again, Jesus speaking, this time in Matthew 24. He tells his disciples what would happen before he returns. This is one of the hardest chapters in the entire Bible to read, by the way. There's a lot of things in here that make you go, gosh, that one hits home for me. And he's talking to them about what's going to happen before he comes back again. He says this, And then many will be offended and repelled 
and will begin to distrust and desert him whom they ought to trust and obey. And they will stumble and fall away, and they'll betray one another and pursue one another with hatred. And many false prophets will rise up and deceive and lead many into error. And the love, catch this, and the love of the great body of people will grow cold because of the multiplied lawlessness and iniquity. Whenever we see Jesus talking about what the church was going to face, he continually comes back to this loving unity. The love would grow cold, he said, because all around us is a bunch of people saying, I'll do what I want. That's what the lawlessness spirit means. Can't tell me nothing. I'm going to do what I feel good about. And as that rises up, it threatens the church. And he says, the love will grow cold of many. He wants us to prioritize being united in his love. Jesus had told them about threats from outside the church. You can read more of Matthew 24. But just as in Revelation, as he speaks to the church in Ephesus, he warns them that as lawlessness and iniquity come, as the world gets crazier and crazier, which you can say the world is crazy and you'll be okay, they need to keep their love burning bright. And it takes effort. Don't let it grow cold. Don't abandon your first love, he says. Let's be honest today. It's really easy to find stories of dysfunction within the church. It's really easy to be discouraged or even disillusioned with even some things that Christians do. But in these moments, Jesus invites us, instead of losing heart, take heart. Because his love is greater than all of those human errors that we seemingly can't get over. You know, we need to return to the core of our faith. We need to stop pursuing other things with all of our might, parallel narratives of our culture, and making our faith about those things. And we need to give ourselves back to our first love again. That's what Jesus is calling from us. Rather, for, rather than just withdrawing from him and our commitment level to him, rather for, than withdrawing from one another, this can be the finest hour of God's people. As craziness arises all over in our culture and even within the church, this can be the finest hour of the church if we will make his love central again and choose to be united with one another. So let me ask you today, what is this love Jesus is talking about that can grow cold if we let it? What is this love that is worth fighting for? What is it that we're called to protect and never let grow cold? You know, love means a lot of things to a lot of people, right? A lot of people have different ideas of what love means in our world. Is it a feeling? Is it an action? I love cheeseburgers, right? We use the same word for how I love my wife with my love of ice cream. But it means a lot of things to a lot of people. So what love is Jesus talking about? In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is asked a question, if you want to turn there with me. Matthew 22 He's asked a question by a group of religious leaders, kind of like the church in Ephesus. They had a lot of doctrine right, but they weren't very big on loving one another. They're trying to trap him in this moment once again because they're slow learners. It's kind of a theme throughout the Gospels. They keep trying to question Jesus and trap him, and he it keeps failing miserably. They said this to him. They said, what do you say is the most important commandment? What is the most important thing that we should prioritize above all else in our lives. And Jesus says this to them, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart. Sorry, this is verse 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two things. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul and love your neighbor as yourself. He brings it back once again to what is central of how we function as believers. Love the Lord with all that we are and love each other. Love one another. He says, this is what we're supposed to prioritize. This is how we're supposed to live. You know, in our world over the centuries, our world has come up with various versions of how we should live in relation to one another, right? Right? 
different things that, okay, this is what it means to be a responsible citizen. Maybe this is how you can be a, a good person. There are rules that we've come up with. We call them the silver rule, the golden rule, and the platinum rule. Those are modern terms applied to them. One of the oldest ideas of how to, you know, really care for people is really what's become a fundamental axiom of our modern age. It's this simple idea of do no harm, right? Do no harm to one another. Don't cause anybody any pain. This is what's called the silver rule. It dates back to some early Buddhist teachings. And today, it's most often expressed like this. As long as I'm not hurting anybody, I should be able to do what I want. And we see that all over our culture today. The silver rule is pretty much what our world lives by. Do no harm. As long as I'm not hurting anybody. You know, it's not really causing any pain to anybody, so it's cool. It's cool for me to do that. Jesus, in this moment we just read, says, yeah, that's not really quite good enough. And he gives us what has been called the golden rule. He, said, he makes a connection for the people of God that is brand new to them. You see, they had already had the command in Deuteronomy 6 to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they had the command in Leviticus 19 to love and care for your neighbor like you do for yourself. But Jesus comes along and connects those two things and says you can't really have one without the other. It's impossible. He forever connects the two and sets a new precedent for the kind of love that is supposed to mark his people on a daily basis. This is how you are to live. This is what's most important. This is your priority. Love God with all that you are and love each other like crazy, is what he says to us. He expands on it in John chapter 15. And he says this, I'm going to give you a new command. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. Wow. Show each other love the way that I showed you love. Think about how Jesus showed his love for us. How far he went. What it meant for Jesus to truly love another person that he showed us on the cross that we celebrate in communion. That's the kind of love that he wants us to have for one another. That's the ultimate command. This is, you know, the platinum rule from Jesus. The kind of love we are to share that brings unity and harmony amongst this crazy, messy, multi-ethnic, multi-generational family is a love that chooses the good of one another first, that puts each other before ourselves, that serves one another willingly and unconditionally, that is stubbornly committed to one another. That's what the church is meant to look like. That's what we have to choose daily. In John chapter 15, Jesus makes this connection crystal clear again. Our love for God and our love for one another are inseparable. You cannot separate the two. And it's, it's good that he does that because maybe you're like me. There are times in my life where I find it easier to love God than love another person. And there are other times where I find it really easy to love another person, but I find it hard to re really dive in and pursue God with everything that I have. You know, most of us at times in our life are oriented one way or another between this loving God and loving another. You might be almost painfully others-oriented in your life, even to the point where you wrestle with some of the standards that God has for us, and you compromise on some things because you care so deeply about people. Others might be more like the Ephesians that we read about, they're so passionate, so zealous for God, so crazy about his, his word and his truth, but they sometimes struggle to love others and serve them unconditionally. You know, we always kind of get drawn one way or another. Love God, love others. But Jesus says the kind of love he wants to grow in his church, it's not an either-or thing. It's both-and, Right? It's a both-and command from Jesus. It's not, okay, you get to love people, love people, love people, but don't pursue God, don't trust God, don't try and grow in God. And it's not, you know, you get to love God and be zealous for his name, but if you don't, you know, you don't really have to mess with people. He says it's both-and all the time. John the Apostle gets to the heart of this connection between loving God and loving each other when he says this in 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to read it from the message version so it won't be on the screen. He says this, If anybody boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he's a liar. It's a little blunt, John. If you won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? 
The command we have from Christ is blunt, says John. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. I think that's pretty crystal clear how connected the two are. So what is the love that can easily grow cold? The love that we need to make our first priority in the body of Christ and fight for, it is this God and others love. The kind of loving, committed unity that we're called to prioritize, it's not always easy, right? It's not always easy. It can go cold quickly in our world, which constantly tries to get us off of a we mentality onto a me mentality. You know, it's hard to prioritize one another when we're being indoctrinated with prioritizing my needs and my wants and my desires all the time. But we have to work at it. As Jesus says, put in the work to show this kind of love for one another that Jesus showed us. Sometimes love takes us into uncomfortable places, right? Anybody want to raise your hand and say, yeah, the things we do for love, right? Every couple who's been married for a while will tell you the honeymoon period doesn't last forever, right? Some couples here are like, amen. Any hands up on that one? No, we don't want to get in trouble today. It's a hard, that's messed up, man. It's messed up. We can cause some problems in church with some of these questions. And the reality of love that we experience as human beings is that butterflies and rainbows are beautiful, but they're fleeting. You know, the sparks that come at the beginning, they die off quickly. Someone once asked Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, about their marriage. And when they had hard times in their marriage, did they ever, you know, use the D word, divorce? Did they ever consider that? And she said, divorce? No. Murder? <laughs> That's a great statement. Now, by, for the record, I'm not giving ideas here, okay? Hey, raise your hand if you've been married for, for more than 20 years in here. Keep your hands up if you've been married more than 30 years. Okay. Anybody been married more than 40 years? Woo! How about 50? Anybody been married 50 years? Okay, I see somebody in the tech booth. I know that's not true, but can we give a round of applause for Rich and Sandy? Wow. Sandy, how long have you guys been married? Woo! 54 years. That's amazing. That's amazing. 63 years. Wow, that's amazing. How in the world, right? You're a hero. <laughs> you know, when, when we meet couples who've, who've been at it, working at it, working at it for this long, who've been through it all together for decades, one of the things that those couples tell you is that all those initial sparks of young love and the honeymoon period, they feel so great, but they pale in comparison to the fire that is born with constant Patient, steadfast commitment over decades with one another. Amen? That's what we're supposed to be after in the kind of love Jesus wants us to have in the church. Church is a covenantal community. It's a group of people stubbornly committed to one another for the long haul. It's not a group of people who like it because, hey, the lights are cool and the worship's great, although we have a phenomenal worship team. You know, if you want to hear the best preaching in Geauga County, it's not here, I can tell you that, with full confidence. We've got people down the street writing forewords for Charles Spurgeon books and stuff. That's awesome. I love what they do in preaching. But it's not about those things. It's not about the, the mushy feelings that we get. It's about the long haul, the committed thing. We're not committed to the sparks. We're committed to the fire. And we need to remember that Jesus promises to grow inside of us a totally different kind of love, which Paul prays that someday, somehow, we can get our head around. I'm going to read again Ephesians chapter 3 to you. Verse 17 through 19. This is Paul's prayer for this body, again, that is so zealous for God, but needs to remember their first love. He says this. He says, Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep this love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. And then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Paul's prayer for us, Jesus' promise for us, 
is that if we'll commit ourselves, he'll do the work. He'll do the work, and he'll teach us more about this. So in the church, this kind of loving unity is something we work at and something we work out as we strive to follow the example Jesus set for us of self-giving love. Because love isn't feelings. Love is a committed action. And it takes time and devotion to fully love God and love one another. We like everything instant, right? But the kind of love God wants to teach us about and draw us into and foster and unite us in takes time. It's impossible to get an instant impression of what really the entirety of our lives can only scratch the surface of, that kind of love that he wants to grow in us. And there are so many obstacles that we do contend with, so many distractions, so many diversions and divisions within the church even, off-ramps from this road of commitment to one another. But I want to invite you today to contend for this love, contend for this unity, unity in the church that really we're called to foster with everything we have, Contend for the church that Jesus had in mind. This is why Paul continues in Ephesians, and he says in the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, he says, Therefore I, as a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of this calling, for you've been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with one another. Make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. You know, why does Paul have to say this? He says, it's not easy. People are people. People are going to mess up. People are going to have faults. We're all wired so differently, but that's where the beauty of our love is found. That's where the amazing, amazing mosaic picture of the unity of the church comes together. A bunch of broken pieces making something beautiful together. It's not easy, he says, but this is what we do. This is what church is about. is loving one another through those things. Make every effort, he says. Be devoted to one another. Be committed. As Jesus said, put in the work. So how do we do that? How do we put in the work? How do we foster this kind of community together? How do we work out this united love and grow together? How do we posture ourselves to grow in love with Christ and with his body we call the church? I think we can look at the, the very first community ever formed by Jesus followers and learn a few things. Amen? You know, particularly, they had a lot of threats going on inside and outside, and yet, the most important thing is how they spent their time. You know, time is our most precious thing, right? You know, money comes and goes, but time we can never get back. It's the most important thing, and it's also the thing we have increasingly less of in our world. There's always something that wants your time and your focus. So how did the very first community of believers ever formed spend their time? I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 2. In Acts, chapter 2, we see this community taking form. It was really just being born. At the end of the chapter, it says this in verse 42. It says that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. All the believers devoted themselves. There it is again. Devoted, committed, make every effort, get back, do the work. Devoted. This word literally means to continue steadfastly. They put the work in. They put the time in. They gave themselves wholeheartedly to a way of life that was foreign to their world. And the way of life of the church is foreign to our world, too. Remember, this isn't a you know, homogenous group of people who all thought alike, you know, ate alike, looked alike. This was a group of people with a ton of differences that is being spoken to here. There are 3,000 people. You can read the, the verse right before, verse 241. There are 3,000 people that have just put their faith in Jesus. They were gathered from all over the world to Jerusalem at that time for a festival. They were rich and poor, insiders and outsiders, citizens of Rome and slaves, different races, different backgrounds, different traditions, different communities, devoting themselves together to this new experiment called the church. And they became 
this new creation family of Jesus, always messy, always under threat. They needed Jesus in their midst to make it work. But what was their daily practice? Luke writes and gives us four things that they committed themselves to. Number one, the apostles' teaching. Hey, we have that, right? In the New Testament, we have the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the Word of God. They were devoted in a world that doesn't read. They were devoted to gathering together around the Word of God. And we need to be devoted to the Word of God first and foremost. They were devoted to fellowship, being present with one another, being for one another, being in each other's corner when it's hard, celebrating when there's something to celebrate, mourning when there's something to mourn. They were with one another, and they were devoted to each other in this way. They were devoted to breaking bread together. And we're told that it's both Holy Communion and also just sharing meals together. And really what this moment speaks to, if you get into it, it really, the way they devoted to breaking bread, it speaks to their devotion to one another and making sure everybody had enough. Making sure that everybody could find a home at the table, had a seat there. You know, verse 44 and 45 here expands on what that means, this kind of devotion to making sure everybody had enough. Verse 44 says that all the believers met together in one place and they shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared money with those in need. And they shared their meals together with great joy and generosity. You know, this picture that we get of the early, the very first community of Jesus followers, they were devoted to making sure everybody has enough, devoted to radical generosity together. Finally, they were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to seeking God together as one, to praying together, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. They were devoted to keeping their hearts and minds fixed on what is unseen, what is what God desires And as dad was sharing last week, you know, we need to start each day in heaven with heaven's perspective. We've been raised with Christ. We are seated with him in heavenly places. We have divine authority. And I got to tell you today, there is no stopping a church that knows how to pray like we have divine authority. The church needs to be devoted to teaching of the word, fellowship, radical generosity, and prayer. And if we'll commit ourselves to these things, the kind of love and unity that it will form in us will be unstoppable. It'll break us as well because to be committed to each other in that way is not easy. We don't have it within us. We need the Spirit of God to do His part. Amen? This is how we posture ourselves to grow in love and unity, by being devoted in His way. And just as it did for them, it'll take more than all of our best efforts and intentions. Paul said, this is the most excellent way of love. It takes patience, endurance. we got to be people with thick skin and soft hearts in a world with very thin skin and very hard hearts. You know, to look like Jesus. The reality is this, long before this group was ever called Christians, they were simply known as followers of the way. And I like that. They were simply people who devoted to living their lives in the way of Jesus, which was radically different than anything else around them. And in fact, we only know the kind of love that we're called to espouse in the church because he loved us in that way first, right? You know, we know what love is because he showed us, is what the word says. He loved us perfectly. And the promise we have in scripture is this. If we will follow the way, if we will orient ourselves, posture ourselves, commit ourselves and devote ourselves to being this church which does these things, and is crazy about God and crazy about one another, God will always do his part in our midst. That's a promise. That's a promise from him. Verse 47 of Acts 2 says this, And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Which means, what Jesus said to us, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When we just commit ourselves to what he asks us to be committed to, when we go back to the basics, when we do the work, when we remember our first love, the Spirit of God does things that we can never do. Amen? It's not on us. It's on him to do that part. But our call is to commit to one another and commit to him each and every day. I will build my church, Jesus says, and the Holy Spirit will enable us to take part in it with him. He produces in us 
the fruit that we need in our lives to make the church happen. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. How many know self-control is important in church? Yeah? You know, I get this picture in my mind of a sailboat on the open water. You know, the tall ships come into Cleveland every once in a while, and they're majestic and unbelievable. And it's amazing how those boats move, you know, how the wind drives them. Just like those tall ships, our job is simple. We orient ourselves toward his direction, his way that he showed us, and we simply let down the sails and watch as the wind of his spirit fills them and drives us forward into his purposes together as a family. Amen? Church will always be messy. If you've been in church long enough, you've probably had more than a few head-scratching moments and frustrations with people, right? You may have been grieved more than a few times over brokenness, seen a little bit of failure in the church, may have even been tempted to give up on this family of faith. It's a messy family because it's full of human beings like me and you. It's made up of humans. And I'll be honest, for me and with church, the honeymoon period ended a long time ago. It ended a long time ago. I've seen my fair share of messy things in the church, walked through a lot in the church with the people of God. The sparks have kind of gone out a long time ago. They fizzled out. But God has been kindling in my heart a much deeper fire. And I'm still in love with the church. I am so in love with what God is doing here in our midst. I am in love with the church. It may be imperfect, and I'm not stupid enough to think it ever will be perfect. It's imperfect, but I believe with all my heart that the local church is still Jesus' plan to show the world how much he loves them. And I'm in love with the way he's doing that in our midst. Amen? So let's do the work again. Let's return to what he calls us to prioritize and make central with one another. Let's be people of deep devotion to him and to each other. And when we're weak, and when we fail, and when we have a hard time, when things get messy, when we fall down, his strength will be perfect in us. Amen? When we hit disagreements, when we have arguments that are going to happen in the church in rough patches like Ephesus had all the time, we'll remember what Paul reassured them. He himself is our peace in those moments, and he has destroyed the walls which divide us. As we follow him and love one another crazy, he will make us one and draw us deeper into his love. Amen? I'm still in love with the church. But even more than that, I'm in love with this church. I'm in love with Word of Grace. I'm in love with this body of believers more than ever before. It's been almost seven years that I've been with this church. Hard to believe. It'll be seven years later in the year, this year. And I've fallen more and more in love with this messy family, despite the fact that those have been some messy years. Right? We've had some messy years, but I love what Jesus is doing here in this church. He is building something that is showcasing his manifold wisdom in our midst, and I love it. I love the way we've grown together. I love the way we've endured some things together. Because how many of you know that you don't build deep relationships with just walking surface level with each other, but when you're in the trenches together, something changes about the way you relate to one another. I love what God has birthed in us here as a church I love the joy of blessing our community together as one. I love the way that we can bless our world when we do it together. And even if our world consistently cheers when people leave the faith, I love the way that we cheer one another on as we make decisions for Jesus. And we get to cheer together with the angels when somebody says, I'm all in on Jesus. Amen? Amen. In just a minute, we're going to worship together. We're going to celebrate and close our service and celebrate our 24 years together with water baptism, which is incredible, amen? One of our brothers who's here today has chosen, I'm all in on Jesus. And God, I can tell you, has been all over this guy's case for a long time. And I am so, so stoked about baptism today. What a joy it is for us to see our brother publicly proclaim Jesus is Lord, amen? Baptism for us, if you're new with us, baptism, what it means, it's a symbol of the great exchange that we see in Scripture. Our old life has died with Christ.
and we are raised up out of the waters of baptism to new life in him by his spirit in us. It's only by his spirit that we can love people the way that he calls us to love each other. It's only by his spirit that we become this new humanity capable of loving him the way we're called to. We love because we've been loved so extraordinarily. Amen? So like Jesus said in Revelation, if you have ears, hear this message. Let's open our ears to his message to us today. Let's renew our devotion to love our God with everything we are and be crazy about each other in the church. Let's let our love burn hotter and brighter than ever before because Jesus is just getting warmed up with us and what he wants to do in this church. Amen? Let's be devoted to fellowship, to the word and to prayer and to breaking bread and bringing everybody to the table. Would you stand to your feet with me as we prepare our hearts for worship? I'm going to pray in a minute. And CJ and I and Deke, wherever he is, we're going to go get ready for baptism. In the best possible way, we're going to celebrate by cheering one another on. Amen? Let's pray together and we're going to worship. Jesus, thank you that even as we learn to do this as a messy church family, you are the one who sustains us and you show us how. And for 24 years, you have been faithful to us. We celebrate that faithfulness today. And we also come with humble, thankful hearts and say, teach us again how to prioritize loving each other and loving you with all that we are. Show us, Lord. We know we don't have it within us, but we, we posture ourselves. We orient ourselves towards your love. And we say, Holy Spirit, come and fill the sails again. Come and drive us forward in a way that we can't even imagine because we know what you have in mind for us is so far beyond us. It's so far beyond even what we can ask or imagine as Paul says in Ephesians. But your love is so much deeper, so much wider, so much bigger than anything that could possibly divide us. So unite our hearts again. Make us like the church we see rising up in Acts, one in heart and mind, for each other, with each other. And we will give you all the glory because you are faithful beyond what we can imagine. Thank you, Jesus, for being here. We commit ourselves again. We devote ourselves to this love and this unity. In our world, which brings division at every turn, we will be the church you ask us to be. And we commit ourselves in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen, amen. Let's get ready to celebrate with baptism. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.